For the past 25 years, Bordeaux Index has been relentless in our focus on changing the fine wine market for collectors and investors. Today, we are the largest seller of fine wine and spirits globally. Bordeaux Index. Join us and visit BordeauxIndex.com. Hello and welcome to Table Talk, the Spectator's food and drink podcast. I'm Laura Prendergast. And I'm Olivia Potts. And today we're delighted to be joined by Lily Dunn. Lily is a writer, teacher and lecturer in creative writing and narrative non-fiction at Bath Spa University. And her latest book, Sins of My Father, A Daughter, A Cult, A Wild Unravelling, is out now. Lily, welcome to Table Talk. Hello, thank you for having me. Lily, we're going to start where we always do at the beginning and ask you, what are your earliest memories of food? My earliest memories, I think, are actually when I was really young, sitting on a wall in Cornwall picking blackberries. I was on holiday with my grandparents. They used to take me and my brother down to Cornwall quite a lot with my mum, but also without my mum. And I do remember this, I think, just because of the response from my grandparents that they were laughing because most of the blackberries were going in my mouth and or on my face or on my hands. So I think I was quite young in that memory. A lot of my early memories do involve my grandmother, actually my mum's mum, because she was a brilliant cook and she also made her own muesli. She made her own yoghurt, which was always very sour, but delicious. I loved it. And whenever we stayed there, we'd, she'd make the table in the morning. So we'd go down for breakfast and everything would be beautifully set out. And with this lovely big glass of, of very sour yoghurt with orange juice in it. And, and I still have such a kind of, a visceral sort of sensory memory of this because I, I just loved that and that there was something very sort of comforting in that as well. And what were your childhood meal times like? Well my mum is an excellent cook and she's a brilliant homemaker as well but me and my brother always laugh and joke now that a lot of our memories of food when we were younger were of uh, frozen burgers and uh, fish fingers and baked beans and you know kind of easy food and I don't know Quite, I don't know if that was just to do with it being the sort of late 70s and early 80s and it sort of perplexes me now because she's she's so into her food and she she makes she's quite adventurous in the way that she cooks or it may be that she was also a single mum for a lot of our childhood so it was sort of convenience food but me my my mom and my brother were very close and we had a lovely house we lived in Islington and I do remember food you know meal times being us all sitting around the table and and, and being a very happy affair my brother and I had a favourite dish, which is very weird when I think back to it as well, which we called Russian stew, which was basically potatoes, mincemeat and cabbage with water that was stewed in water. And then it had this sort of like a kind of meaty broth, which we really loved. And that was that was our sort of treat meal. So <laughs> I was also find it really odd sort of thinking back to that. Yeah, it was definitely a kind of happy, happy time my childhood memories of, of eating with my mom and my brother at that time. And what about school food? Were you catered for at school or did you take back lunches? I went to a very liberal primary school, state school uh, when I was young. I don't really remember the food there. I think it must have been quite kind of canteen food. And then my mum got in a panic around the age of sort of seven or eight when she thought I wasn't getting taught anything. And I think I wasn't really getting taught much. So she she whisked me out and she put me into a convent, which was really weird because we weren't Catholic. And that was in Hampstead. So we lived in Islington and, and that was in Hampstead. And my brother went to a private school nearby 
there as well for a few years. So we would travel on the train up to school together. And I do remember the food there because it, it wasn't a particularly happy time in my life taught by nuns but also always feeling like the odd one out because I wasn't Catholic and yeah it was a kind of stuffy place and it was in a big sort of stately home well not stately home but a a very big sort of mansion house on Fitzjohns Avenue in Hampstead and there'd be crowds of us I remember sort of the run-up to our lunches which were cooked lunches and there'd be crowds of us sort of going past the food as it was being prepared and, and set out and I do remember trays of chips and, and we would sort of discreetly steal a chip when we were walking past. And I also remember getting caught out in a food fight. And I can't remember if it was me who was doing the food fighting or if I got blamed for it. But I was taken into Sister Richard's room and you know punished by her. There was quite a lot of punishment there by the nuns. So that wasn't very pleasant. And your book is about your father, did he have any involvement in your in what you were eating when you were when you were growing up? He was often away in other countries, but he did he did spend some time in various flats in Hampstead. He lived he lived in Hampstead when I was actually when I was at that convent. So we would we would then go and spend our afternoon, you know, after school with him sometimes or all the weekends. And I do remember food with him, but it, it tended to be kind of you know he was always treating us to something I guess that's the kind of the guilt of the of the absent father so one of my favorite dishes eating with him was eating kind of like cold chicken and (laughs) coleslaw or shop-bought sort of pre-prepared food and yeah I do have a weird memory of because he also wasn't the most sort of responsible of fathers and he used to always he he would play kind of slightly inappropriate films videos when we were there I don't know if he was watching them you know we'd watch them because he he wanted to watch them or he just got the age rating completely drastically wrong but I do remember watching American Werewolf in London once when I was with him and having this this sort of like this chicken thigh sort of (laughs) sitting on a plate in front of me and feeling quite repulsed by it after watching this slightly gory film so yeah strange little snippets of memory of food but then he moved to Italy and when I was a teenager I would spend my summers in Italy and that was a very happy time for me it was a beautiful place and he had a cook it was a communal house so he lived there with about sort of I don't know about 15 other people and he had a cook and she was Italian and we had lots of really lovely meals sort of outside in, in the front garden underneath this beautiful tree with candlelight and wine and delicious fresh fresh food from, from the local area and lots of Italian food. That was beautiful. And I discovered, you know, I discovered a lot of new things when I was with my dad because of that sort of international influence. So I had my first proper coffee you know, I'd, I'd make coffee with an espresso machine and then have it with really hot, nice milk and have it with honey and herbal teas and wine, of course, you know, but but with a meal. So that was that was always a, a really nice thing. And yeah, just just being introduced to things like radicchio and pasta, you know, really good pasta sauces. And my brother and I also had a, a scooter when we were there. My dad would get us scooters that we, we could like like little motorbikes. And we'd escape down to the local tavernas and buy ourselves prosciutto sandwiches. And and my brother sometimes went further afield and went to the co-op or, you know, the, the sort of supermarket and he'd buy 
things like yop and processed foods or you know sort of things that you might have bought from home so yeah we I have quite a lot of nice sort of sensory memories of food from that period and at what stage did you start cooking for yourself when did you leave home well I went to university and I went through a bit of an odd eating phase at university which probably a lot of young women do Um, (laughs) and sort of my eating became slightly spare And I do remember eating a lot of fruit at that point and a lot of processed food. I don't think I was particularly cooking for myself because I was I was living either in shared homes or in halls of residence. But yes, I was a little bit sort of neurotic about food, you might want to say then. And I was quite thin. So I kind of yeah, I kind of I, I had a bit of a period of of not probably being particularly nutritious, apart from the fruit, the endless fruit in my in my room. But yeah, cooking for myself, I think that came later. That was sort of in my 20s when I lived with my partners, you know, my, my boyfriend at the time. And and actually, yeah, really getting into cooking and, and following recipes and just learning. I think mostly learning food recipes from my mum. And my mum was really, when, when I grew up, she used to have a lot of dinner parties. So food was always a very sort of social thing for her and for us. So in my 20s, I, I got quite into kind of having people around for dinner and cooking proper big meals, you know, like lasagnas and risottos and sort of big chicken pots. And yeah, so and I, I still really enjoy that as well. And it sounds though as though you've travelled a fair bit. Which countries have you been to where you've been particularly struck by the food? Well, I think Italy was was definitely a formative experience because I was a teenager And also America. My dad moved to America when I was in my 20s and I did a big tour of America with a boyfriend at the time. And I suppose the the food in America, you know, when you're touring and you're you're stopping off in little kind of highway or, or motorway restaurants and eating just these enormous portions like burgers. And, you know, and it wasn't it wasn't particularly nutritious, but it was it was definitely a highlight of that trip was just kind of discovering quite how much we could eat. And then I also went to New Zealand and spent some time there and really enjoyed the, I discovered steak in New Zealand and just really, really good quality meat that, that sort of doesn't need that much cooking. So, so rare steak was really nice. Yeah. And actually when in my twenties, I also worked at Time Out magazine. I was there for about 10 years and I worked on their eating guides, so I did quite a lot of restaurant reviewing as well. So I was, I was definitely, I had quite a, a rich introduction to good food at that time. We often ask guests about their favourite drinks, but it's, a, it's something I particularly wanted to ask you about because you write in your book about your father's alcoholism and how that impacted your life and your drinking life. So can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm like many other women or or men or people who you know growing up in this in this country and in this culture who alcohol just sort of was very much part of of our life growing up and particularly in London and I was very social and worked at time out worked in the center of town I was around a sort of journalistic drinking culture as well as just sort of amongst my friends you know from quite a young age I suppose you know we started going clubbing I mean I was sort of 15 I think when I went to my first nightclub sort of went into the wag and in the 80s you could you could get into into places like the wag when you were only 15 so I sort of from quite a young age I was drinking regularly and then at time out certainly it was such a kind of rich drinking culture and very much 
something that we got into a habit of of going to the pub every day after work and and I never really questioned it it just sort of continued that way until my dad got ill so he he only became an alcoholic in the last sort of 10 years of his life he was he was an addict of other things I look back now and I realize that a lot of his behavior was addictive behavior I mean he was a sex addict he joined a religious cult he he also was a work addict. He was a workaholic. He was obsessed with money. You know, he was always sort of searching for something outside of himself. And I see now that that was addictive behavior, but he wasn't a drinker until his wife, his second wife left him or they, they separated and he turned to alcohol. I think he was drinking a bit before that, but not as bad as it became. But when that happened and it was around the time that I got married, and I saw what it was doing to him. And it was because he lived in America at that time. We hadn't seen the gradual, gradual fall or, you know, him, him sort of slowly getting, getting more into drinking. It just, to, to us, it felt like it was quite sudden and suddenly he was not well. I got very shocked into realizing quite the impact of alcohol and how, what it can do to you. And also it really made me reflect on my own consumption of it. And also just the fact that it's a poison. If you're drinking every day, you are actually putting a little bit of poison into yourself every day. And that was quite a kind of an eye opener for me. I mean, I do still drink, but not, not very much. I'm, I'm certainly a controlled drinker. So don't tend to have more than sort of one glass or two glasses if I'm out somewhere. I'm very aware of my drinking. And I think that's certainly what changed having had that experience with my father. And what about with your own family? You have two children. What 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 are your family meal times like now? I really try to sit down and have dinner most nights with my children and with my partner. And and I've established that from a very young age with them that the sort of sitting down to meals has always been really important. And I think now both of them are teenagers and it it's harder for us all to kind of be together in the same room because they're busy in their rooms or with their friends. But it feels even more important in a way, you, you know, you sort of have to make that effort to, to do that. And also just through sort of me being in control of their nutrition to as much of a degree as I can be, because I'm less in control now of them and, and what they're eating at school or they are going out. So I do really try and sort of maintain that. And I think it's also just it's just really good kind of coming together time. It becomes a good structured time in the week. I mean, Sunday, Sunday lunch, if we're all here, because their dad lives in London, so they sometimes go and spend the weekend with him. But if, if they're all here, if, if everyone's here, then I'll get a chicken and do a roast and, and we'll, we'll have a proper, yeah, like it feels like a ceremony to me. It's an important part of, of family life. And are you a recipe follower or do you extemporise? Because of working, you know, it's it's so difficult, isn't it? When you're working and juggling a million things, I, I wish I could spend more time cooking. I get into habits of not cooking and just sort of doing very kind of convenient food and sometimes buying pre, like we, we have a, a local place here called Cook, which which does really good quality pre-made food that you can, you, you freeze and then you can bung in the oven. You know, that is like our, I mean, it's good quality convenience food, which we use when we're very busy. But having said that, I do, I try to create space to cook. My daughter is a vegetarian. She does occasionally eat meat, but she, she sort of really wants to be full-time vegetarian. And I think that's, 
definitely forced me to be much more adventurous in thinking about how I can get the right nutrition into her and, and also just eating really healthily, which I think is good for all of us. So definitely recently I've been cooking a lot more and really enjoying that as well. The Ottolenghi recipes, I think, are really good for like vegetarian food. Yeah. And Lily, what for you is comfort food? I do love a good chicken roast with potatoes and sweet potatoes. I love mashed potato. I probably don't eat it as much. I mean, it's probably good, quite good. I don't eat it quite as much as I would like to. My children don't particularly like mashed potato, so I don't cook it that much. But it, I do find it really, really comforting, like really buttery mashed potato. I also just love toast and I love sourdough bread and making toast with like honey or marmite. And I'd say, yeah, that's that's a real kind of simple comfort for me. Do you have a sweet tooth? I'm not wildly. I, I don't really crave sweets. My partner has a very sweet tooth, so he's often scoffing chocolate or, you know, sort of discreetly getting sweet things into the into the shopping basket. And that means that I probably eat more sweet things than I would normally. I completely see the appeal of, of sweets and desserts and chocolate. And there are times when, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it definitely kind of gives you something back just to have that little bit of chocolate. I had some, yes, I was exhausted yesterday because my book, my book came out last week and it's just been nonstop. And I did spend, well, I, I, tried to spend quite a lot of the evening in bed early evening and and I was bought some chocolate and I must say that was that was a really lovely lovely addition to the night yeah sometimes it feels like a good thing and Lee to finish on what what would be your desert island meal roast chicken dinner is definitely a, a sort of a win mainly because it's a winner for all of my family even though my daughter's a vegetarian but she always she likes all the bits around it but actually, when I'm thinking about myself, when I was working at Time Out, I was editing and writing the fish section of the eating guide. And I do love really good fish. So probably, yeah, just something like monkfish and mashed potato and really good sauce, a nice glass of dry white wine. Yeah, something something like that in a really lovely environment. Well, Lily, thank you very much for joining Table Talk. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And Lily's new book, Sins of My Father, A Daughter, A Cult, A Wild Unravelling, is available now. <laughs>